Someone once told me that no one says life is fair. When you hear that when you're young, you have no idea what it really means. Once you've lived a little, and then you lose everything, suddenly it makes sense. This podcast is a true life memoir of someone who lost everything and is rebuilding in search of who they once were. They're sharing their story as part of their healing process and so that anyone else out there living through similar circumstance knows that they're not alone. Hey everybody, Dave the Clone here with another entry into the Feeling It, Healing It Diary of Recovery. Coming to you on day 325 of sobriety. Closing in just a little over a month away from the full one year. And um, I know definitely for sure on that one, I know I'm not alone, and anyone else who's on this journey, especially on the sobriety side of it, know that you're not alone. In fact, part of what inspired me to record this today was seeing a post on Facebook from a friend who I don't know very well. I think there's somebody that I know tangentially through people that I've become friends with um, through, you know, con life, through not convention life, not... (laughs) Let's specify which kind of con. Um, And this particular person was celebrating uh, today is their eighth year of sobriety, which I found very uh, both profound and inspiring just because when you start to think in terms of that many years of struggling still, that they, you know, their post said it's not even that... um, that like it gets easy at some point you know every day is still the choice and uh and this particular person was an alcoholic so he said you know at the end of his post said uh, my name is so and so and i uh, am an alcoholic it's been eight years since i took a drink and i didn't take a drink today but i was thinking about doing this recording all day yesterday because yesterday was the first day that I really found myself fully and this isn't just part of the you know dealing with inner strength that we didn't know we had or mornings are hard although mornings are hard is I, I, I gotta get that tattooed on me somewhere you know and it's it's uh it's one of the prevailing symptoms of my struggle um along with the dissociation of displacement I'm going to feel displaced until I'm in my own place again and here I am a couple months into crashing with my folks which I had expected at the most to maybe be a month and a half two months and now we're crossing into month three and still no word from the jobs so anybody out there who's got their fingers crossed for me or putting in the prayers I really appreciate it please keep them coming um Ironically, I've been very productive in every other avenue. I've, I've been getting a lot of work done for my clients, uh, getting invoices out so that I have some money for the end of the year here. I've been, I've revamped my resume and I'm 
I'm actively pursuing um, various companies, whether they have jobs lo- uh, you know listed on the job boards or not. I've been bombarding the jobs that are listed on all the job boards. So I feel like by law of averages alone, is something's going to have to happen. But I'm also starting to kind of feel the necessity to sort of start you know, really looking into some of these other options like the uh, net-based remote jobs and you know possibly even taking a couple days stocking shelves at a grocery store you know whatever it takes i'm trying to get past the pride aspect of it but maybe it was a community accumulation of all these things recently um that i found myself over this past weekend having these moments of real just heaviness setting in and i'm sure anybody who's been listening this whole time that may sound like it's nothing new but when you're when you're the one that's kind of going on these different waves where like all of a sudden you feel like there's positive momentum and then all of a sudden for no reason nothing has changed either way but you suddenly have this daunting i mean i think really there's still a little little leftover disappointment from after three interviews finding out that they're still interviewing other people you know you think being recommended by somebody and and having credentials and skills and experience are supposed to you know net you a win and and it felt like it was a really good vibe and now it's not i don't know if that was piling on Plus, I've been doing a lot of nostalgia watching for the new podcast. I started the uh, 15 Minutes of Movie Memory Madness with Dave the Clone, which if you haven't checked out yet, you can catch us on YouTube and the audio version will be starting to appear on Spotify shortly on the main feed. So keep an eye out for that. Give us a listen. Throw some support my way. I think that's the thing, too, is sort of it's been a long time in these endeavors And maybe I've never really understood it the way that the folks who immediately found ways to make money on YouTube and the Internet uh, have understood it. And I have to I have to do some adjusting still, but I'm trying to find a way to adjust within my own to adjust in a way where I'm not abandoning, you know, my style or my sense of humor or what it is I bring. I mean, I was I was consulting with a friend and all this is going to come back to the heaviness of the weekend and why this was the first weekend I found myself really thinking I want to get stoned. I, there have been, there were times, there was especially a time on Saturday when I was alone in the house, alone in the house because, um, my parents went to a neighbor's birthday party and, I just felt like this would be, this would be the time. This would be the time normally. I mean, and I think too, in keeping track of all this, mornings are difficult. Mornings are the hardest part of the day that, that require the most active push through to move and and get moving and make progress and be productive. And even that little win and counting little wins, um, on the way. I can understand why that used to be the first thing I would do. I would wake up and take a hit. You know, I'd wake up and pack a bowl. Or sometimes I would pack a bowl the night before and start smoking, fall asleep, and then there would be, you know, half of a bowl left for those out there and not in the know or who don't choose to use marijuana as their poison of choice. A bowl is a pipe. (laughs) That's the term for smoking a bowl. You're basically smoking a pipe of weed. And I remember... When I was working in the corporate world, 
and I realized that I had, you know, benefits. I had medical coverage, and amongst those benefits were psychiatry or therapy. And I felt like at that time, this was probably around 2007, maybe 2006, I felt like I was indulging too much and I wanted to go to therapy for that. And I wound up talking, I wound up going, you know, it was, I needed therapy in general, but I remember them asking, okay, well, what drugs do you do? And I was like, oh, I smoke a lot of pot. And they're like, is that it? And you know, even the insurance company's like, wait a minute, what? Are you sure? <laughs> you know, boo this man <laughs> for all of the, all of the um, half-baked fans out there. Um, and then they were like, all right, well, how much do you smoke? How many joints do you smoke a day? And I just thought, I thought that was so quaint. I'm like, I don't roll joints. I smoke bowls. And they're like, well, what's that? And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to explain it to you. I smoke a pipe and I, you know, would pack it probably twice and then maybe pack it again a couple hours later. Um, in any case, this isn't, this one's going to be a little all over the place and rambly, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I can see, you know, as we're getting to a year here, there are, there are a few things that kind of are cycling um, pretty regularly for me each day. Uh, I tend not to harp on it each day, but I do as I'm keeping my gratitude journal is one of the things I put every day. I'm grateful for 320 days of sobriety and freedom from substance abuse. And I almost feel a little, in my own way, kind of disingenuous in that I'm looking at it that way because I, I feel like uh, in the spectrum of things you could be abusing, there are ones that are far, far worse that would have you know, instantly had me homeless and sickly and possibly disease-ridden and maybe on death's door had I been using them as much as I was using marijuana. And marijuana generally, I think one of the fun half-truths or full-on delusions people have, uh, especially people who indulge in it, is that, oh, you can't get addicted to marijuana. And I say, okay, well, then why don't any of you stop? <laughs> why, why is it not, why is that one on the level of cigarette smoking where people are smoking cigarettes all day, they take you know, smoke breaks at work? Why, when you're someone who enjoys getting high, is it so difficult to do what I'm doing right now? And the flip side of the coin is I feel like, may, and maybe it was because of the circumstances around what, when I stopped that, you know, being sick and, and having the flu and not even really being able to breathe air, let alone smoke-filled air, was an easy way to kind of put it down for enough days in a row where you have, you've outlasted now the sort of immediate urge. Because, I mean, I... I there is a fiending that used to happen and it's difficult to even picture because now we're in the era where it's kind of become legalized in in much the same way that alcohol is legal not not a hundred percent everywhere but it's getting there in fact uh, a couple months ago now maybe mid-august early September, somewhere in there, it was late August, um, I had a friend come in from out of town, and she was basically only going to be in town for one night, because the next day she was catching a cruise that was going to be going up the East Coast all the way to Nova Scotia, and beyond even, um, and it was leaving out of the uh, port of Bayonne in New Jersey, and so we had plans to have dinner. And we had also, we're, we were 
talking about maybe collaborating on a project together as well. And so when I went to you know, meet her at her hotel, she had a friend who was also in town to catch the same cruise, and they were friends that were only friends through Facebook. This was the first time they were hanging out in person. They um, ironically chose a hotel in Elizabeth, New Jersey, not far from the Newark airport, which is a, uh, for anyone traveling to New Jersey, let me strenuously caution against that area <laughs> it's a very not pretty it's a very rough area it's not one of the one of the reasons they call us the garden state in fact and and i could see in their faces when they when i showed up they were like wow i i had no idea i'm like well one it's motel six and two not that motel six is ever going to sponsor my shows and two it's in elizabeth new jersey it's not exactly one of the greatest areas and the first thing the friend wanted to do, because she knew it, uh, recreational marijuana was legal in New Jersey, she's like, I want to go to a dispensary. And now the old me would have been very excited by this, because it's like, oh, yeah, awesome, and then would have gone in and, and sort of looked around and looked at prices. But I found myself not in a cold sweat, but in one of these like moments of apprehension, like, oh, man, am I now going to be hanging out with people who are going to be smoking all night? And they weren't, and they, they, I told them that, you know, hey, listen, you know, I haven't smoked in over 300 days, or I think at that time it was over 250 days, some, whatever it was. And I was like, I haven't smoked in a couple hundred days here, so I'm not going to go in with you or indulge, you know, but I, you know, who am I to stop you? I would just ask that you do it not in my car kind of thing. And they were cool with it, but it started this kind of... There are these moments. There are these moments where I don't know if I miss it because I miss the fun of it or I miss it because I have a craving for it in, in the sort of I need it in a more medicinal sense. But this past weekend, I definitely felt the gravity of how much I was able to ignore how unhappy I am about my situation by being inebriated with it as often as I was. I, um, in general, I, I'm sure I've been having thoughts along the lines of if they were to get out of control could go down a very dark path, right? And I'm trying to, you know, one of the, the things I've been really trying to focus on because especially every ever since the situation where the place I was renting was going away and I was going to need to find a new place to live I really felt like I needed to not only turn the corner on my own as far as the emotions and being upset and missing my ex and all the things that go with this sort of navigating this nuclear wasteland aftermath but I feel like even wallowing to that level needed to stop. And I really wanted to embrace, you know, there, there's an enviable, I guess, population of people out there who are able to tap into this level of positivity that I really wish was second nature to me. This, this sort of ability to not worry to not be concerned with the minutia and to just know things are going to be okay and that in some way sort of magnetically pulls 
positive outcomes their way. At least that's what it looks like on the outside. And so that's what started me on all of this kind of exploration of like trying to manifest and trying to raise my vibrational frequency and try to get into this mindset where like the negative doesn't even get to have any spotlight at all, where it's all instantly you wake up and you're just grateful to be alive for another day, to have another chance to put things right and to be moving positively. And I'm getting there, you know, there's, there's definitely been a pretty massive shift from the weight of everything but then there are still plenty of times and that's why this whole coming back to always that this healing is not linear that it's a process and that the process has phases including the ups and downs and the sort of emotional relapses and I can't lie about the fact that my age and the difficulty in finding a a Job at the level of the one that I used to have is pretty shocking to me. And so I kind of feel like the time I have to rebuild what I once had, unless something really miraculous happens, is slipping away faster than my progress and healing is going. And there's this kind of bully within myself towards myself that's starting to get a little bit louder and starting to be saying things like you know dude you really just gotta bite the fucking bullet and do what you need to do if that means going and getting a job at a grocery store go and get the goddamn job at the grocery store there's actually little room for sympathy for someone in your situation who isn't spending every waking hour and maybe this is a little bit of um the andrew tate sort of mentality you know i mean It's an interesting figure. I don't want to get too polarizing and I don't want to get too political. But one of the things that I was initially inspired by when I was hearing his sort of messaging becoming popular was that, you know, you know, you are fully responsible for your life and your situation. And I do believe that. And I don't think that that's controversial. And I think there maybe it's a lot of his messaging is if you're not spending every waking hour working towards making money and improving yourself then you don't have any room to complain because that's what the people who are going from broke to billions are doing and there are going to be days when you don't sleep there are going to be days when you don't do anything fun and I know that sounded a little weird I think for me I I, I had always had a certain amount of that sensibility where I was able to write off that I wasn't, you know, spending every waking hour because I had a full-time job. I felt like, well, I'm doing that part of it for sure. And it's making more than the average across the country. But yes, were there hours? And, And then, you know, because I was commuting, I think people who commute, especially into and out of New York, from New Jersey or from neighboring, from Connecticut, from places where you're in mass transit for upwards of an hour in each direction, there's a certain level of drained and exhaustion that 
is left in the wake of that. But much like the pain of, of the abuse of a narcissist can't be understood by those who haven't been through it, those who haven't had to commute like that can't really, I mean, what, well, what, sitting on a bus is really hard? It's harder than you think. Getting up early and getting crammed into this thing, being surrounded by people who are coughing, and this is pre-pandemic, right? I can only imagine what it must be like now. I've flown a few times, more than a few times since the pandemic, so you already can get a sense of there's like a new level of ick from being around people <laughs> in close proximity. Um, but I remember distinctly before the pandemic, there were plenty of days where if you didn't get good sleep the night before and it's really cold out in the winter time and you're standing outside waiting for the bus, you get on the bus, you finally get a seat, but maybe the heat isn't working in the bus that day. So now you're shivering on the bus and you're hearing everybody around you coughing and you're just like, oh my God, I'm being bathed in bacteria and viruses. And I would, you know, we would all be at work kind of joking around about how, you know, just commuting in the winter is making yourself vulnerable to so much. It's a wonder we all don't constantly have the flu. So there was that element where three hours of the day was was pulled out from that. So you got your eight hours at work, your three hours of that. That's 11 out of 24. So you should still have 13 hours. That should be, according to this mentality, productive. And then once I started working with the guy out in L.A., there were days that I would come home and then I would be working on music videos until like 2 in the morning. So, I mean, I was doing the full court press for a while. But I guess it was a little bit of a different time. There's this new sort of level of focus. And and so I think one of the things I was getting inspired by with, with people trying to put that message out there that when you're broken down and you're on rock, at rock bottom, that's the time when you have nothing to lose in terms of taking new risks to try to rebuild and that a lot of folks that's the time when they find the thing that's going to really turn them around and, and bring them up to those new echelons, right? And I think that was sort of what was behind the emotions I was feeling at the end of last year going into this year when I was going to be starting not only, um, not only had I been hired at this sales job, but I was also taking seminars on, you know, digital affiliate marketing and I was being really really um I was I was fully on board with all the sort of positivity of it and the sort of idea of you know taking control of your own life taking the reins and that if you just stick to it you can really wind up opening doors to levels that you've never been at before and I was pretty unstoppable you know going into February even, you know, but at that point is when I think it started to kind of, uh, I don't want to say a reality set in, but there was a sudden sort of wall that I hit with this kind of blind optimism. The sales job wasn't going anywhere. Nothing was happening. And I was spending a lot of time and money driving all over the place in New Jersey, trying to, you know, sell in person after spending hours on the phone cold calling. And this was a job that they 
they made it seem like the you know the product sells itself, man. You're going to be making a hundred hundred thousand dollars at least this year. You're going to be making six figures this year, and you'll definitely be on path to make a quarter to a half a million next year. And here I was two and a half, three months in, almost now broker than I was at the beginning of the year, and I was pretty broke at the beginning of the year. Now, part of that, too, is because all the traveling around and driving, my car suddenly needed work, and it was sort of like one of these things where it really does feel like there's this black cloud that just reappeared. It was like, oh, oh, you're trying to fix yourself? Oh, oh you're, you're, you're doing stuff. You're, you're going to be making moves. You're going to be a big, big player all of a sudden. You're going to have money. You're going to be able to pay back your family and you're going to be able to go on vacation and take care of your nephews and niece and really, like, keep being the cool Uncle Dave that brings a lot of awesome Christmas presents. Oh, yeah, I don't know about that. You know what I mean? And part of me wonders, was it easier to fall into thinking that way? I don't know, as a means of ignoring the cravings or, or kind of to help me continue on with part of that being that I've also stopped smoking um, and I know so right around the time where I, I realized the sales job wasn't going anywhere and I really needed to start thinking about where I was going to live because we got the notification like the, the for sale sign went up in front of the house um, that was when I suddenly hit like a new emotional low. It's like getting knocked back down on my ass. And then I started to have sort of a little bit of a wave of new clients coming through on the freelance side. And then right as that happened, I got the message from the ex and it emotionally kicked me back. So it's sort of like quarter one was not as successful as I was expecting it to be. And by the time I was starting quarter two, sort of financially things were starting to go better, but emotionally I got pulled back. And I feel like maybe there's been a little bit of me that hasn't fully recovered from that even now because it's just been this intense all go, but not an all go into any direction that was getting me a steady full-time career focused job. You know, it was all go hoping that more clients would show up and not really knowing how to do that I th so I think and I think there's probably some blind spots I've had that I've I think definitely was ignoring because I was getting high all the time like not figuring out getting a website built and that's finally being rectified now and I'm, I'm really hoping that that's going to be a key maybe that could be one of the things that all these jobs I've been applying to they're like oh check out his resume this looks great and then they go to my website and it's like my Potomatic page. It's not even my website. Who knows? Who knows that what that could be sending message wise, you know? And I can only hope that anyone who passed on me because of that, once I get the new site up and keep sending out resumes, maybe they'll reconsider me. But in any case, as the end of the year is drawing close here, you know, we've crossed Halloween. We only have Thanksgiving left before we hit Christmas and New Year's, and then it's sort of starting over. The one area that I wasn't kind of letting myself, I guess, comfortably fall into was the idea of just trying to shift my mindset. You know, I think it was working at the beginning of the year when I was optimistic, but all it took was failing to kind of deflate that optimism. So really getting into this manifestation 
and saying daily affirmations and keeping a gratitude journal and all these things have been helpful. And a lot of the communities talk about how the ones around things like laws of attraction and and manifestation and raising your vibrational frequency, they talk about there is a you that is already at this level, this ideal that that you wish you were at now. And by talking your subconscious into accepting that will start to bring that into the reality that you're currently in. This all sounds very trippy, new wavy. I've been talking about it a lot the last several entries in this journal, and I'm sure there are those out there listening to it that are shaking their head at me, and, you know, probably completely fair. (laughs) Fair enough, anyway. And then, because I, I, you know, for as much as I want to believe and I'm trying to move into believing, it's the kind of thing where, like, well, I was doing this while I was in that horrific mansion situation. That certainly didn't nothing actually materialized I still had to run I had to retreat I had to secretly sneak out in the mornings and stay out all day to avoid this new orbit of negativity I'd put myself into though perhaps there's an argument to be made that my awareness was at least Raised enough to see it for what it was very quickly after moving in and realizing that I wasn't going to be able to stay there very long. And it may have taken a little bit of nudging from my sister and my mom to be like, just get your shit into storage and get out of there. Come live with one of us for a little while. Which was not something I would have come out and asked for myself. I actually was trying to mentally prepare myself for having to stay there until I found something else. But um, it's interesting, you know, when I was there and I was telling people there about the details around my last relationship and they immediately were like, dude, are you hearing yourself? Are you hearing some of the things you're saying? You still moved for somebody who was full on in like a cheat avalanche, cheating on her husband with not only you know, you, (laughs) but others before you, um, had an account on a notorious website and was making dates with other people on that notorious website, you know, um, was attending swing parties with her friends who were in the lifestyle and, and you didn't run away screaming from that, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, yeah, shit. It's amazing what infatuation will blind you to, but it's sort of like the same as living there. Then I would tell my parents, hey, so this woman is in the kitchen all the time, is constantly, isn't turning on the air conditioning, is is kind of making us all suffer through the sweltering heat, but making sure that her dogs get the air conditioning. She uh, doesn't let us use the kitchen, but she cooks whenever she feels like it. Doesn't want me to have a coffee maker in my room. They were like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Just get out of there. Like, thank God they didn't sign a lease. I would really love to get to the point where I come up with these conclusions on my own and avoid the trouble. So all this is a very long thinking out loud explanation of finding myself definitely all day yesterday, part of the day on Saturday too, walking around thinking, God, I really wish I had some weed. I I wish I knew where I could get some around here. And 
You know, today, seeing the number 325 as I'm writing it in my gratitude journal, realizing that I'm a month and 10 days away from earning my one-year chip from myself, um, I'm really glad I didn't. I definitely had a dream. I believe it may have been last night. And I've had several of these dreams during this last 325 days where I'm hanging out with somebody, oftentimes a female, um, that I'm interested in. And without even thinking about it, we wind up getting high and smoking. And then sometimes in the dream, I'll realize it and wake up and be like, oh, God damn it. Well, not even wake up. Sometimes even within the dream, it's more like, fuck, I just threw away all those days. I just threw away all that effort. I now have to start over at zero again. Ugh. And the sense of disappointment is so real. I definitely, I, I, when I woke up this morning, I felt like, shit, man. I can't believe I have to start over. I made it so close. I made it into the 320s. And then I was like, wait a minute, dude, you didn't smoke. <laughs> it was a dream. You know, you don't have anything here. You know, when the hell, when the hell did you smoke? When would you have smoked? And it's like, ah, oh, shit. The dream was that intense. So maybe it is a little bit of a... You know, not stage fright, but a sort of healthy anxiety over, all right, man, you're close. You're not 100% there yet, but you're close. And also knowing, you know, like I've mentioned in the last couple episodes, I've, I've re-engaged in communication with this one woman who we have sort of like a near-miss um, history of almost starting to date And it's an interesting story Especially because when we were You know re, Re-engaging I guess the last week She said You know she was saying Do you remember what it was like when we first started speaking We met on Plenty of Fish Which is you know Of all the fucking sites These dating sites are Part of the huge ever burning dumpster fire That our world is becoming And that's Maybe I think that is also contributing to this feeling of time slipping away faster than the progress is being made because, you know, as you're getting older, especially seeing how many people on these dating sites are single parents, which, you know, uh, I know it's very red pill of me, but I'm kind of not interested I feel like I, and I'm sure a lot of it too has to do with the bad taste left in my mouth from this last relationship where I basically not only risked my whole life for somebody that I had very strong feelings for that I thought was sort of going to be my forever person, but, you know, was having to also take the full package for what it was, which included becoming a stepdad to three children, but they were at least older sort of on the on their way to one of them was a legal adult and one of them was a, a year or two away from being a legal adult and the other one was beginning of their high school you know career but old enough that it wasn't like oh my god are we gonna have this confusion of are you my daddy now it was it was a very everybody understands what's going on though it will bear mentioning that they were all very kind of shocked by the fact that their parents got divorced in fact when they had the family talk to let them know the kids were all like I didn't even know there was anything wrong you know I didn't even know you and dad were having problems and that should have been a red flag and I feel like so you know maybe I'm ultra sensitive 
to the idea of and I mean maybe part of that too is having been a child of divorce who was in high school when it happened and realizing the awkwardness of um, what it was like when my mom started seeing other people and when my dad started a new relationship it was like this okay now we're like all the families on TV um Except there's no laugh track and no pre-written dialogue for us. Everything's going to be brand spanking new. It was definitely interesting to be on the other side of that. And I've often wondered, because I never really said goodbye to those kids when things ended. And all they saw... Where they were witness to the really big meltdown night, the huge fight. I don't know if I've ever fully detailed what happened during that fight. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I feel like it's healthier to stop thinking about it altogether, although that's a very unrealistic prospect for somebody who's sentimental and trying to change it about myself for sure as part of my healing. But, you know, these things do come up. But yeah, I never got to say goodbye to them. I have no idea what they really think. Um,. Her daughter did tell me after it all ended, she thanked me for what I tried to do for her and her brothers, which I felt like was very kind of her. And she does tend to like a lot of my posts on Instagram and Facebook, which probably it's a little weird that we are still friends on those platforms and her mom and I are not. But I think that's also her being sort of an adult in things and not, regardless of whatever kind of campaign of misinformation and smearing happened, because that's what narcissists do. It's documented behavior in all the psychological circles about it. Um, it was kind of nice to know that somebody saw the forest for the trees a little bit. In any case, yeah, I'm pretty sure that could play into why, you know, when you're swiping on these platforms and you see mom first, oh, I'm a mom first, yet you're on the hookup app. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> you're a mom first, yet you have the slutty pictures of, up on this. <laughs> you're a mom first, but you have a link to your OnlyFans. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm going to take some heat for that one. But, hey, it's a minefield, and we're all in it. We're all allowed to have our preferences and feelings about things. At least I'm trying to understand where mine come from. At least I'm not trying to, you know, the full red pill treatment. Just, hey, take it for what it is. Like, you know, I don't know if any of you all know who Pearl Davis is out there, but she's... uh She's definitely an interesting character for sure She's somebody who when she gets called out on being a bully Just goes like ah whatever And I'm like that's not a It's not an appropriate response <laughs> That's not taking responsibility for your actions lady That's not cool You know you can't sit there and trash talk people's way of lives The way that you do You're not coming at it like a psychologist trying to help You're coming at it like somebody trying to condemn and um, condescend And just waving your hand in front of your face Going whatever is not a response to that So I don't mean to sound 
harsh because I know the red pills out there will say, yeah, what guy wants to be a stepfather? What guy wants to get with somebody who's already got kids? In fact, I've seen plenty of new programming out there in the world of podcasting that makes very little sense to me. I'm still trying. I mean, I don't know what happened to I just want to talk about movies and shit. I mean, this this podcast is probably what I would say is my most controversial in that. It's being very vulnerable about some very personal things, but also expressing some opinions that probably would not be out of the realm of possibility, would rub people the wrong way, or at least make people feel some kind of way about it. And I don't necessarily know that I, you know, should feel that I need to apologize for it, but obviously because I am not somebody who wants to go out with the express purpose or intention of hurting anybody obviously if somebody was offended by something I said my my instinct is to apologize not apologize for having the opinion but to apologize for offending them and I think that there's got to be a way for all of us out here if we want society to continue if we want to be able to keep living together on the planet because it's the only one we have that we're aware of uh, we're going to need to get back to a place where we were allowed to live and let live, where it wasn't like if we don't share the same opinion, then it's time for one of us to mount a campaign to cancel the other. It should be like, all right, cool. Well, then you go back to your side of the street where you live. I'll stay on my side of the street where I live and there the twain shall meet again. And I don't know. That could be considered insensitive, I guess, but it's also practical. We have to all share this giant ball of oxygen, guys. It's, you know, and it's in that spirit, realizing that for as many people as there might be that would get offended by some of the things I say or feel some kind of way about the things that I'm saying, there are also people who are in the same struggle that I am and or similar and there's a certain camaraderie in that and therein lies the sort of beauty side of community right that it's all about finding support in those around us you know like the streetcar named desire i've always found the I've always found myself benefiting from the kindness of strangers. I've horribly butchered paraphrase. Somebody hold me accountable for it. Hollow nine podcast at gmail.com. That's the word hollow the number nine. I N E podcast at gmail.com. Soon to be findable on the new hollow nine.com. The word hollow the number nine. dot com. As I'm actually meeting with my web guy today, not long after I finished this recording. In any case, Back to the dumpster fire. <laughs> like I said, this one was going to be rambly. It's almost, in a way, an interesting characteristic of this kind of brain scatter would be understandable or explainable by being wasted. And being almost a year of not being wasted, it's interesting that there are times the sober mind can be so overwhelmed because it's hard, it's also very hard to not acknowledge a certain sense of rejection and rejection that I can't say I fully feel is deserved because it is a little ridiculous that by now not one of these prospects would have been like, oh, dude, 
You've been doing this for 20 years. You were corporate for 16. You've got a music video on the Warner Brothers page. Fuck it. Come on, man. No more questions. You're in. It's a little shocking, especially on this last one. I thought the vibe was really there with the very with the first two interviews. I felt like it was there to a degree with the third one, too, but I'm suddenly wondering if the third one is the one that kind of put the brakes on. But still, you know, I was recommended by somebody, so I had the personal, you know, foot in the door there, and it's sort of like, well, what more do you fucking need? <laughs> you know, I just, I don't understand... Unless there's something about the things that maybe I've said or or the work that I have out there that's representing me is not isn't blowing any is this isn't exactly blowing up my skirt, gentlemen. <laughs> from True Lies, it's a it's a line from True Lies. It's what I do. I make movie references. Um, and the fact that no one will give you that that feedback, I mean, I've often wondered too. You know, this is where things like impersonation syndrome or whatever it is—is um, is that what it is? Impersonator syndrome or fuck? Why can't I remember it now while I'm talking about it? But imposter syndrome. Jesus, thank you, God. Wow, imposter syndrome. The fear that none of us, you know, a lot of us. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say the real we so that we understand what I'm talking about. I'm sure there are people out there going, Dave, I know what imposter syndrome is. But for those of us who don't, the imposter syndrome is where you, even if you've been doing something for a long time, even if you have the accolades that show that you're good. I mean, I have to keep reminding myself I have won five telly awards. And for anyone who's not in the world of industrial um, video production, it's the Academy Award equivalent of the awards that are given to corporate industrial and movies and videos and stuff. So I've got five of those. I produced five videos that won those. And the first one I got when I was in my early 20s, and it was the same year that someone else on my team got their first one, and she was in her late 40s. So there is certainly proof that I know how to do what I do and that I do it well. That notwithstanding, either I'm asking for too much money, which in the inflated economy we're surviving in shouldn't be the case. I feel like I still am asking for too little. Or there's just something about me, maybe. And, and, you know, it's a little too right wing for me to be comfortable with to say, well, I'm an early 40s white straight guy that... uh, some folks feel like have been running the world for too long and don't deserve the breaks anymore. And, um, yeah, I don't necessarily feel comfortable thinking that, but at the same time, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I've been declining to, um, when I get to the, I mean, it's the fact that I'm even applying. You know, I feel like there are a lot of folks who are have worked as long as I have. They've never filled out a job application. They've always jumped jobs by knowing somebody and being offered something. And here I am filling out fucking applications. But I choose not to self-identify when it gets to race, gender, veteran status, disability status. I always am saying decline because I feel like, well, I don't want to be judged by my race or my gender or my veteran status or whether or not I have a disability. I want to be judged based on my work and my experience and my skill set. 
And who knows, maybe that's what's holding me back. So it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You don't know what the right answer is because legally none of these fucking companies will tell you why. They just send you that email that says, thank you for your interest, but we're moving on with somebody else. It's really hard to not feel a sense of rejection of you in your core. And then you start to have these thoughts, these intrusive thoughts of like, well, why does the world at large think that I should not be able to sustain myself? You know, why is it okay for me to be left out in the cold when I know I'm more than qualified? And then, you know, that's the other thing. Some of these jobs I've been applying to strictly because they're the open jobs that are posted right now, I'm overqualified for. And that is a reason for companies to say no. I would think hone skills, a track record, and the experience to know when to deploy what for which situation would be something that any company would be glad to get for the lower price tag than they know they should be paying for it. I, and I can understand that they would be nervous maybe that I would be looking for more money not long after I started and that I would be, you know, potentially um, would, you know, threaten to leave or whatever. But I'm like, no, you know what? I'm much more enamored with the ability to pay rent and keep a roof over my head and food on the table and not have to be living with my parents that I will take less money than I'm worth as long as it's within a certain range and be doing a job that is within the skill set I've honed over the last two decades. All this to say, anybody who's out there considering hiring me and listening to this podcast is probably like, well, we just threw your resume in the trash, dude, which only further proves my point. (laughs) Instead of looking at yourselves going, oh, shit, yeah, (laughs) we've been definitely looking for any reason to not hire people, and we could have had this guy who would have been kicking ass and taking names for us would have been able to come in and do this job in his sleep. Um, and that's seen as a negative. I'd love to have a team full of people who can, like, drop bombs on constant. And like, yo, get that shit done. Earn us another tally. So I don't know. That's why it feels like, and in some ways, so the way I would reframe that in this new way of looking at the world and trying to raise my vibrational frequency and manifest the dream life and is that I'm not getting those opportunities because for me, the time has come where I'm supposed to make my own impact. I'm supposed to create something bigger than myself or bigger than what these positions would be offering me the opportunity to do. Like now's the time when I'm supposed to write the novel that then becomes the next like translation into a kick-ass Netflix series or now's the time I write the script that the first person I show it to in the industry is like holy shit as soon as this actor's strike is over we're making this um you know and and if I look at it in that light there's a certain level of it that's very inspiring but it's still pretty daunting because I feel like it's been such an uphill battle although I guess in some ways to pull it all the way back to the sobriety, the uphill battle really has only started 13, 14 months ago because the first year and a half, you know, from count from say May 21 through September of 22, was still spent in a haze of pot smoke 
not thinking about things in these terms, not focusing on what needs to be done, still waiting for something to come along and save me and allowing myself to still rely on a force outside of myself. It's why I have so much resentment towards the situation in L.A. And even now trying to navigate that, which has sort of come back into the fold, but not really... um, It's almost like even if that were to come back around now, the taste in my mouth about it is so bad that I kind of don't necessarily want to go that route. But at the same time, I'm loath to fully shut down what could be, you know, the only opening that has ever been there for me. And I may have to find a way to repair what damage has been done to the bridge and kind of swallow pride yet again to kind of work my way through being a part of that even without being super happy about it but you know it really is starting to come down to for me what is going to make me happy um i'm still stuck on what is happy you know right now i'm back to the immediate version of happy would be being able to be back in my own place and be able to afford to live on my own two feet and not be relying on the kindness and support of family. And it's a struggle every day of how disappointed I am in myself with that. And and that's why it's like, well, if you got to go stock shelves just to make enough money to get out of here, do that. But if I start stocking shelves around here, then the place I find is going to be around here. And I, I did have that recruiter review my resume and help me revise it and we built a list of companies I should be looking at that are in places that are not here that are places where there are still fortune 500 companies that may see the value in my skill set and have internal communications teams that need somebody like me and you know maybe in order to get that first level of happiness I got to jump back into the corporate world and you know for a couple of years be earning what I am worth again so I can rebuild the horrific, I don't even like to mention the number, but just the idea that it was a 401k that had been building over 14 years because I didn't start it for two years of when I was at the job. And it takes 14 years to build and less than three to burn away. And... It's that realization that I risked my future for my present with somebody that I thought was worth that risk. And still, because of the inherent loneliness of a situation like this, and it's a loneliness that comes with its own set of thorns because as much as I'm lonely, I I personally don't feel like I bring anything to the table right now. Just a mess of emotional malaise and stress and anxiety but you know it would be nice to have someone to cuddle with it would be nice to be going into the holidays with somebody to care about like that and and buy little gifts for and want to spend time with but I already feel like a burden to my family So I feel like there would be no way of getting into a situation like that without being anything more than a burden to them as well. I mean, maybe if I had somebody that I was trying to do that with, the amount I'm bringing in would be enough to combine with somebody else and get our own place. 
but then you start finding yourself in the same situation I was just in where it's like, well, all right, now this relationship has taken on a level of um, necessity for both parties and that can affect, you know, if it starts to go bad, are we going to still stay together because we need the place to live kind of thing, you know? I've sort of decided in all of this adventure and journey of recovery that never being in that situation where relying on somebody meant having to compromise your own sense of mental health and safety for a relationship that was toxic. It's the same reason a lot of people stay in toxic relationships, especially marriages. You have so much tied in together. And at the same time, though, at least with a marriage, though, you vowed that for better or for worse, you were going to stay together. And we are definitely living in a society where the minute it gets even a little bit hard, people are ready to just pull the pin on that and jump out of the plane and I'll parachute to wherever I land to and probably in someone else's arms. Um... I'm sure you can hear the sort of manic mishmash of what I've got going on in my head. It's sort of a whirlwind of colliding values, right? That uh, in both uh, the mindsets of traditionalism and also modernism, but tempered modernism, and I think mild traditionalism. I, I was... I keep going back to this is why, honestly, <laughs> I can't wait for time travel and I will just travel back to the 90s and live through the 90s again. And then while I'm in the 90s, I'll try to bring some of that technology with me so I could just keep replaying that decade over and over again until I die. Because I think that was the last time the world made sense to me. It was sort of the, the, a golden era of films. It was clear. I mean, obviously, it was before the Marvel Universe, before the CG revolution that we have today. But it just felt like there wasn't the imminent doom looming in the distance. And I'm sure some of the way I'm looking at things is coming from that, from the things that my therapist says are too big to worry about. But how are you supposed to not worry? A, a third bank just collapsed, you know? It's almost like what would happen if the bank that I use collapsed and, and all the last nine months of earnings just disappeared and I'm really at square zero, you know? What are we supposed to do? And then you, you read about how the dollar is on its way out. And, I mean, I don't know. I don't, Again, I don't want to get divisive. I don't want to get too deep into controversy that isn't, a, controversy that isn't about my questionable life decisions and trying to bounce back from them but you know it's interesting trying to figure out a way to survive in a world that's becoming increasingly hostile towards people trying to survive in it if they're not already in the billionaire class you know I've I don't necessarily want to be fighting a revolution but I also feel like I'm prepared to if I've especially if I have nothing else and that's what winds up happening. You know, who knows? But I'd much rather, I mean, at this point, I'd much rather the aliens just show up and put us all into line. <laughs> this is what you guys are doing. This is what you guys are doing. If you don't keep doing that, we're going to come back and blow the fuck up out of your planet. <sighs> I need a sci-fi movie to become real.
And so I'm sure even people out there listening are like, dude, I need to smoke now. And yeah, even sitting here now thinking, oh man, it would be, and I know I've said that part of it before, like, oh man, every once in a while it would be nice to smoke. I remember in the dream, it was sort of like, oh wow, I've missed this, you know? And it's, there's a part of me that is a little on the heartbroken side that um, am I never going to be able to, you know, just recreationally every once in a while, like on my birthday or on Christmas, just kind of sneak out for a quick, you know, blunt. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I did tell myself it's like you're definitely going to stop for a year and then reassess. And I think my, my criteria is if you're back on your own and you have a gainful employment and you're bringing in more money than you ever had before then I can allow you to indulge on an occasion but it can't be this wake and bake every day and it's interesting because so the woman that I've reconnected with we had this near miss from meeting on plenty of fish you know there was something that was kind of beautiful about this rekindling because she was like you know all I remember about you is that we met on plenty of fish and you were actually a normal person a nice guy nice enough that I felt compelled to give you my number and then we would get on the phone and for a week we would be on the phone for hours and it was like everything lined up great movies pop culture stuff our values our tastes and things that we both smoked everything was awesome and I just I miss that you know she the the fact that she use the term I genuinely adore you but I'm broken and I'm not looking for anything so can we just be friends and then we kept talking and she brought up she goes you know I've seen your posts and that you know I know you're living the fully sober life now I just wanted to let you know I'm not I think this was because I told her listen I'm staying with my folks down in Delaware but I'm looking for jobs and I I've had a couple interviews with this one up in East Hanover New Jersey and I'm hoping that at some point they're gonna call me in for an in-person one and then I would either come up just for the day um, but it's a long drive and I would love to have a place to stay and I'll probably just wind up getting a hotel room and she was like well you could stay here I can offer you a place to stay but I know you're living the fully sober life and I very much am not and I was like yeah my instinct was to be self-deprecating about it and I was like yeah I guess I kind of suck that way and she goes no no I actually love that you're doing that and I support you she goes I'm not and I know I'm not because I don't want to face things the way that you're facing them I don't want to be like it's it's still too much for me to face it in the cold light of day the things that I'm dealing with that I'm broken over and I found that really, really intriguing. I was touched by the fact that she was supportive, but I am sort of disappointed, or not disappointed, but I, I am, I guess, saddened by the fact that this is another thing, too, swiping around on these profiles on these uh, sites as you see so many people are like oh she looks pretty and all oh, the things she's saying in her profile that she's into are really cool and then you get to 420 friendly or 420 all day and you're like god damn it if I were still 420 all day myself this would be a perfect match but now I'm not and it was funny before I met the woman I had been briefly engaged to at that time that I was single then I used to worry 
that I would meet somebody who's amazing and would be a great partner and that I'm really attracted to, but then they would find out that I smoke and I smoke regularly, like the way some people smoke cigarettes, I smoke pot. And that would be the deal breaker. That would be the reason that they wouldn't want to be with me. Then I met my former fiance, and she was a pothead, too. So that was one of the things that lined up. And I think maybe one of the reasons that that relationship worked as well as it did. And then every relationship after that, even people that were sort of brief flings, um, more than brief, you know, flings for a couple months, I was the one who was a pothead and they weren't and it wasn't so much a deterrent but it definitely would have been a reason we couldn't be together long term or or seri- any more serious than we were and now I've made that transformation that transition back to well now I'm the one not and here I am looking at these people on the dumpster fire dating sites <laughs> I'm sure I'm gonna I'm gonna start one called dumpster fire we're not gonna lie about what we are and I'm looking at these, you know, people going, oh, man, she would be great, but mm, 420 all day. I don't want to have to deal with being around it like that. And I don't want to ask them to stop because who am I to try to get somebody to change? In fact, you shouldn't want to be with somebody that you need to change, right? It's So just like trying to visualize the me that's already past all this and start living into accepting that that has already happened and that will be bringing it magnetically to the fore and and making it come to fruition there has to equally be this idea that there's not only the person who would be perfect for me as part of that atmosphere but that they will not be 420 all day but would be okay with if it got back to an occasional 420 every once in a while in fact there was so there was this one person i was speaking to sort of more on the spiritual healer side of things and very quickly she was like i have to smoke at least every six hours and i was like "Mm." even when i was a pothead if i if i heard somebody sort of regiment their life like that I'd be like yeah see you're kind of the exact thing I'm talking about myself included where this whole people say you can't get addicted but you can you definitely can whether it's for mental reasons I, it's, I think it's that it's not physically addictive the way like some of the other hard drugs out there are but when your mind gets addicted to living in the cloud like that I mean, here I am almost a year out of it and suddenly having those, I really miss just feeling high for a little while. I've really missed the way that all of this stress would just literally float off of you as you felt the high coming on. (sighs) And the fact that people are saying, oh yeah, man, I couldn't do that. I couldn't just stop cold turkey. I mean, I've tried to before too. There have been times where I think the longest I had gone before this was well, well before I was even in with the woman I had been engaged to, and I think I stopped for maybe four months. And then I was like, all right, it's been long enough. I can smoke again. And then I went right back to every day. <laughs> so it'll be interesting. I'm not sure if I'm going to be going to that Christmas party this year, the one last year that after I'd stopped for 19 days, I was like, all right, let's smoke again. And then I was totally lit and and almost worthless almost fell asleep on the couch but at the same time it's nice to see people so i don't know i feel like 
you know, they do say part of one of the one of the elements when you get clean is you have to not hang out with the friends you used to do drugs with, right? Which I always thought was a little harsh, but at the same time, it's kind of true because you're it's your journey, it's your life, and it's your um, condition of being clean. And even if they say they're going to respect that, if they're still going to be doing it around you, it's like the temptation can be too strong. And even if it's to protect yourself, you have to not be around it. So I don't know. I don't necessarily want to not go to that party. And there were plenty of people who go to that party who don't smoke. So I could always just try to. I mean, I did. I after last year when I went, we went and smoked in the basement. And it used to be the kind of thing where with that party every year, I'd be most of the night down in the basement every single session. That year, I went down for the one session and came back, came up, and never went back down again. And then the next morning, passed on it as it was being passed to me. Uh, so I definitely know the ability to resist it is there. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be making declarations about things like that. Maybe I should just be taking it one day at a time. Because I'm Dave. I've been I have been smoked in 325 days, and I didn't smoke today. In any case, thanks for listening to me ramble about wanting to relapse. <laughs> we'll be back with another entry. Until then, uh, if anyone's feeling this resonating with them out there and they want to become part of the conversation, you know how to do it. Holonine9podcast at gmail.com. The word hollow, the number nine, I-N-E, podcast, all one word at gmail.com. And hopefully by the time I'm recording the next one of these, or at least by the second one from now, the new hollow9.com will be there. Oh, and it's not at hollow9.com. It's at gmail.com. Jesus. But there will be a hollow9.com. Just you wait and see. All right, folks. Until next time. You've been listening to a production of the Hollow Nine Network. Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery, featuring Dave Maresca. Thank you for listening to Feeling It, Healing It, A Diary of Recovery. Dave Maresca is not a trained medical professional, psychologist, psychiatrist, or licensed professional trained in providing therapeutic mental health care. This podcast is an account of his life experiences and meant to be just that. Any advice or suggestions made in the extemporaneous dialogue of the podcast is not intended to be medical or legal advice. If such advice is what you're seeking, you are encouraged to seek out the services of a licensed professional. The Hollow Nine Network and Dave Maraska assume no liability or responsibility for the information provided in these episodes.